Good morning. Welcome again to our online worship at South Suburban Christian Church. Thank you for being with us today. However you're joining us, whether it is on uh, southsuburban.online.church, listening our, to our podcast or our YouTube channel, we're grateful that you've taken the time to dig into God's Word today uh, as we continue our series, Out of the Ashes. Uh, this message is being preached for the fifth Sunday in Lent. Next week is Palm Sunday, and then we are into Holy Week, uh, the last week of Jesus' earthly life before His crucifixion. On Friday, which we call Good Friday, um, and then uh, his resurrection on Easter Sunday. I really pray that uh, God has been speaking to you and to all of us through this series of messages uh, and this series Out of the Ashes. We began on Ash Wednesday uh, as we remembered our need for repentance. And then as uh, God and the Spirit has opened up His Word to us, we have seen how God works in the midst of when we human beings find ourselves up to our neck in ashes. Uh, We started this series with uh, uh, Adam and Eve, and then Miriam, Aaron, and Moses, and then David and Bathsheba, and then last Sunday, Hosea and Gomer. Uh, I've only preached on Hosea and Gomer twice in my entire ministry. And this is the second time after I've preached Hosea and Gomer. I don't think I'm going to preach about Hosea and Gomer anymore. Uh, That was a tough, tough passage and a tough text. Uh, Today I want to look at Judas and Peter, uh, two of Jesus' original 12 disciples, two men who found themselves up to their neck in ashes, but also two men who handled their denial, who handled their brokenness, who handled their rebellion very, very differently. Uh, We're going to be reading today from the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, uh, beginning in verse 69. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 69, and I'm going to be reading through uh, verse 10 of chapter 27. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again Peter denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, You certainly are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind, brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, Judas departed, And he went and he hanged himself. But the chief priests took the pieces of silver, 
said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them uh, the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Did you know that so far in the year 2021, 12,000 baby boys have been born and uh, have been named Peter? There's been more baby boys born than 12,000, but of the baby boys that have been born, 12,000 of them have been named Peter. Thus far, in the same span of time, zero of them have been named Judas. Since 1880, uh, there have been approximately 40,337 names given to baby boys. 481 of them in that span of time have been named Judas. Making the name Judas, well, the 40,337th most popular name over the last couple of hundred years, that means Judas is dead last in the most popular name for baby boys. So you have to think about that. Boy names like Adolf and Attila are more popular than Judas. As a matter of fact, 11,000, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the name Lucifer is the 11,043rd most popular name for boys. That means the name Lucifer is more popular for baby boys than the name Judas. About four times, three times more popular. The name Judas is a name that sticks into the craw of all of us as human beings. And the interesting thing is, is that the name Judas literally means praised or celebrated one. But to most of us today, the name Judas is synonymous with betrayal or treachery. To call someone a Judas means that they have betrayed you. Even for folks who aren't sure if they believe in a literal hell, they'll tell you that if anyone is in hell, Judas is in hell. (laughs) As a matter of fact, when Dante wrote the Divine Comedy in the 14th century, In the first section, entitled Inferno, uh, Dante begins taking the reader through the outer rings of hell, where, you know, existence isn't great, but it's not horrible either. And as Dante takes the reader deeper and deeper into the pits of, of hell, he comes finally to the lowest, the darkest, the worst level of hell. And it is in this part of hell, Dante says, that the devil resides. And Dante describes what the devil looks like, a being with three faces and three mouths. And he says that in those three mouths are the, quote, worst sinners. And the mouth to the left and the mouth to the right are the uh, people that you may know, especially as we find ourselves in March, Brutus and Cassius, who murdered Julius Caesar uh, in the Roman Senate, uh, a historical event we remember on the Ides of March. But in the middle mouth, 
in the very middle of Satan's mouth is the one whom Dante calls the foremost sinner among all humans, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. Well, if you keep reading through the Divine Comedy and you get to the final part entitled Paradise or Heaven, uh, Dante describes what heaven's like. And as you come into heaven, one of the first people you see, you've guessed it, because you've heard all of the jokes about when you get to heaven's gates and who's standing there, right? It's Peter. And Peter is described by Dante as a, quote, bright and glorious, as three rings of fire circling around one another in dance and singing a song so divine that no imagination can comprehend it. Well, there you go. Judas and Peter. Two men who are remembered very differently by history, each getting very different reactions from those of us who hear their names. One we celebrate as the ultimate example of true faithfulness, and the other we condemn as the greatest betrayer, a treacherous human being. Well, to, uh, to today I, I want to suggest to you that if we delve into God's Word and look at how God's Word talks about these two men, we might notice that they're not quite as different as we might expect them to be. So let's take a trip through Scripture today. The first point that I want to share with you today is, is that when we think about sinners and saints, when we think about Judas's and Peter's, it's important to remember that they are not distinguished by the company that they keep. That's not what makes us saints or sinners. Now, when God took upon himself flesh, the incarnation, the truth that we celebrate at Christmas, the Apostle Paul remembers that event in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, with these words, For in him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells. That is, is that Jesus is the full revelation of God. Jesus, when he comes into the world and, and begins his ministry, he takes to himself uh, all kinds of disciples. Uh, the Bible never really numbers all of the disciples uh, that follows Jesus totally, um, but we do know of the 12 disciples. And of all of the people who followed Jesus, there were 12 of them who functioned as sort of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, the one, ones with whom he took for himself and taught, and for whom at least 11 of them would ultimately become apostles of the church, as we read in the book of Acts. Now, among these 12 disciples, both Peter and Judas are numbered in that group, those 12 disciples. And we can follow their story in Scripture to some degree. Uh, these two men, Judas and Peter, they followed Jesus, uh, they traveled with him, they ate with him, uh, they saw him do his miracles, uh, they witnessed uh, his presence and his teaching and his engagement with the people and crowds and the religious leaders, they prayed with him, they learned scripture from him. And in John chapter 13, Jesus did what the lowliest of house servants would do. He tied a towel around his waist and he washed the feet of those 12 disciples. 
including Peter, who protested and said, Lord, don't wash my feet, but wash uh, all of me. And Judas, who didn't protest at all. Imagine that. Jesus knelt before Peter and before Judas and washed both of their feet. On the last night Jesus was alive, or or on the last night Jesus before his arrest, he uh, gathered with all of his disciples for a final meal, the last supper you might have heard before. It is the time when Jesus instituted or called into being what we call the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, or the Eucharist. At that final meal, both Judas and Peter were together with Jesus. Not only that, but when Jesus began to celebrate the Last Supper, according to the Gospel of Matthew specifically, where he uh, called the disciples together to to talk to them how the bread was his body and the blood, I'm sorry, the cup was his blood. It was Judas who sat at a place of honor, not Peter. You'll remember John, the apostle, sat to Jesus' right, and Judas sat to Jesus' left. You know, I think that's interesting when we look at Judas and we look at Peter the very person that we would have considered to be most respected by Jesus would have been John and Judas, not Peter. I know some scholars still debate whether Judas received the fullness of the Lord's Supper, and that's not really the point of my uh, 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 effort to, to draw our attention to it. I want you to see that it doesn't matter the company that we keep when it comes to being distinguished as saints and sinners. You see, Peter and Judas were spiritual brothers. And like each of the stories we've shared over these past five weeks, Judas started out pretty good. But there were some warning signs. There was his heart that no one else could see, but Jesus was able to perceive clearly. You might remember that before Judas betrayed Christ, The text this time in Luke chapter 22, verse 3, says that the devil entered into Judas. And it's that small phrase there in the Gospel of Luke that so many folks have said, well, there it is right there, Judas was acting at the behest of the devil. But did you know that Jesus also called Peter Satan as well? You might remember, it's, it's right after Jesus had praised Peter. Uh, This occurs in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus had heard lots of stories about what people were saying about him. And so he asks his disciples, what are are people saying about me? And and they say, well, some say that you're Elijah. Uh, Some say you're one of the prophets. Others say that you're John the Baptist who's come back to life. And then Jesus asks this question, but who do you say that I am? And at that point, Peter, as he always does, is the first to speak. He opens his mouth sticks his foot right in it in some interesting and ironic way, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's in that moment that Jesus then says to Peter, "Heaven and uh, uh, this has not been revealed to you by earth, but heaven has revealed this to you. And you are Peter, and upon this rock, upon this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, 
Upon that essential truth, Peter, I will build my church. Well, right after that event, as Peter is riding high, having gotten a compliment from the Master, Jesus begins to tell his disciples about how they'll be heading to Jerusalem and how it's required that he will die. He'll be put to death. And Peter didn't like hearing this very much. And so with this newfound confidence that Peter had, he, he pulls Jesus aside, and the text says that Peter rebuked Jesus, saying, Never, Lord, don't say such things. This shall never happen to you. And immediately after Peter presumptuously schools Jesus, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. So I guess you could say, in other words, both Judas and Peter, like so many among us who live as human beings in this fallen and broken world, we can be influenced one way or another by the powers of darkness, by Satan himself. We can also be fairly confident that both Peter and Judas had similar opinions or expectations of who Jesus was and what Jesus had come to do. They were looking to Jesus as a political uh, leader, as a military leader, as a kingly ruler who would take Jerusalem out from under the oppression of the Roman Empire and establish it as, uh, again as an independent state ruled by the throne of King David himself. Both wanted Jesus to rule and to reign and to judge not to forgive, not to show mercy, not to extend grace. Both wanted him to overthrow the oppressor, set himself up as king, return Israel to its glory that they once had had. And yet, the prophecies, even back in the Old Testament, point to that this is not why Jesus was to come but it was to redeem humanity. It was to restore and heal the rift and the broken relationship between God and His creation. Now again, all of us remember Judas for his betrayal, his treachery. But we probably ought to remember that Peter also betrayed Jesus as well. Both Judas and Peter turned their backs on Jesus. Judas sold Christ to those who wanted to kill him for 30 pieces of silver, which was about the going rate to purchase a slave in the time of Jesus. But in many ways, I wonder if Peter's betrayal was worse. Now, why would I say that? Well, first of all, Judas never claimed to be faithful. He, he never made a point of saying that he would always be behind Jesus. Peter, on the other hand, when Jesus was talking about how one of them would betray him, Peter had the audacity to say, it will not be me that does that. Uh, Peter assured Jesus, this will never happen with me. I will always be faithful to you. But when Jesus was arrested, all of his disciples fled and hid. And Peter, who is remembered for that great boast, Follow Jesus from a distance. Okay, well maybe we ought to give Peter just a little bit of a break here. So far, so good. But when the people began to recognize Peter as one of the followers of Jesus and question him about it, 
Peter denied it. He said, I've never known the man. He even cursed and said, I don't know who he is. He even finally pronounced a curse upon himself that he never knew who Jesus was. And in that moment, the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered what Jesus has said. You will deny me three times. All in all, Peter did deny Jesus three times. And, you know, Judas did betray Jesus as well. But perhaps another point that we might want to consider is is that sinners and saints aren't always distinguished by what they do or what they don't do. Lots of people talk about why Judas did what he did. Some scholars will talk about how Judas was simply trying to provoke Jesus into doing something and not just talking about something. Other scholars will talk about Peter and why he did the things that he did, how the two reacted, how the consequences played out after each of their actions. Some say that Peter was angry uh, at Jesus because he was crucified. Some scholars articulate, and there's really not a whole lot of biblical proof for this, but you know, I can see folks thinking about it from this perspective, that, that Peter was, was uh, frustrated and confused and upset that this isn't right. The Messiah, if he's the true Messiah, shouldn't be crucified on a cross. That kind of execution is reserved for the worst of the worst of people. Certainly, this can't be why Jesus came. And yet, at the same time, there is a little piece of Peter that doesn't give up, isn't there? Even in the midst of his doubts, he, he doesn't want to abandon the disciples altogether. Even in the midst of his confusion, even in the midst of his unbelief, he still can't let go of all that he had come to know when he was with Jesus. Even when the women discovered the empty tomb and they came and told the disciples, Peter wasn't sure he believed, but he was willing to go check it out for himself. Even in his disbelief, even in his struggling with the idea that Jesus may have been a false Messiah, even when he wept bitterly after realizing that he too was a betrayer as well, Peter just couldn't let go of Jesus. And I think that's a key. Judas, on the other hand, well, as I had said just a few moments ago, lots of scholars think that he was just trying to force Jesus' hand and and uh, to make him claim the throne. Uh, Some have even suggested that Judas, in his act of betrayal, was trying to save Jesus' life because he knew that Jesus had the power to overthrow the Roman authorities and clean and cleanse the temple. I'm not really sure I agree with that, mainly because of some other aspects of Scripture that seem to shed some light on Judas and his heart. In John chapter 6, as uh, Jesus is trying to explain his death, the gift of his body and his blood, everyone is struggling with that. They're struggling with this idea that Jesus is saying, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will not have eternal life. And in chapter 6, verse 60 of John, we read this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do not take offense at this. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man descending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Is this Judas? I think so. John goes on in chapter 6. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And then John says this quite clearly in verse 71. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Finally, what I want to share with you is, is that sinners and saints are distinguished by the one in whom they put their trust. So what's the similarities between Judas and Peter? Well, they both were weak. <laughs> uh, they both misunderstood Jesus' message. They both were close to Jesus. They both read their Bibles, said their prayers, were active in Jesus' ministry. They both kept company with Jesus. They both sought to do what Jesus expected of them while they were following Him. But in all of that... There was nothing but irrelevancy. But there was a distinct difference between Judas and Peter. An important difference. Peter believed in Jesus. Even in the midst of his doubts, he believed in Jesus. And Judas did not. It wasn't the suicide nor was it the great confession of Peter. It wasn't the blood money that Judas accepted, nor was it the threefold denial that Peter exhibited. What it was, was this. One of them placed their hope in Jesus, and the other did not. That was the difference. It wasn't their acts of faithfulness or their acts of unfaithfulness. It wasn't their knowledge or their wisdom. It wasn't their foolishness or their arrogance. It was that Peter trusted Jesus. And Judas trusted himself. Judas, in his trust, was failed. And Peter in his trust, was redeemed. You know, I've often said to you that every religion in the world tells us how to get to God. Well, every religion except Christianity. Because Christianity tells us how God came to us. 
I would also suggest that every other religion in the world tells us what we have to do to receive eternal life or life after death or the hope and truth and meaning of life here. Christianity tells us that everything that needed to be done for our redemption, everything that needed to be done for our healing, everything that needed to be done for our forgiveness has already been done for us, for you, for me, by Christ. And the question Christ asks us today is simple. Do you believe this? Do you trust me? Jesus asks. By grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Scripture alone. You know, I think faith is created and strengthened. I don't think. I believe that faith is created and strengthened not by looking inside of ourselves to one's own faith or to one's own doubts, but looking outside of ourselves to God's Word, to Jesus Christ, and to the promises of Christ. If you're struggling today with your own relationship with God, allow me to suggest to you that the assurance of our salvation is not found in our own experiences. It's not found in our own feelings. It's not found in the trustworthiness of something that we experienced in worship or at a sunset or in the forest. That's not what confirms our salvation. What confirms our salvation, brothers and sisters, is God's Word and the promises of Jesus Christ. But, but pastor, I don't think you understand, you might say. I have doubts. I just don't know if I can take it all in. That's how Peter felt. I'm not sure I'll always be faithful, pastor. <laughs> Peter wasn't either. You know, I might be inclined to encourage you to think about this. The fact that you're struggling with these doubts, like Peter, may actually be the signs that confirm that you are saved. You see, it's not the signs of unbelief that tell us we are separated with God, but it's that wrestling with God, like Peter. It's that refusal to let go of Jesus, even in the midst of our doubts, like Peter, that confirms God's Word in our life. Because those that don't believe, they don't have any concern or anxiety about their doubts, about their faith, or about their salvation. They're pretty well convinced there is no God and the story of Christ is a lie. You're not there. You keep fighting. You keep holding on. Even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of the doubts, don't let go of Jesus. Because it's Jesus 
who is not letting go of you. Will you say yes to this question? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And do you accept Him as Lord and Savior? If you've done that today, will you click on that button if you're on our online.church platform that you have just received Christ? Or if you're watching on any of our other platforms or listening to us, would you send us an email at office at southsuburban.com that we can walk with you through the joys and through the sorrows, through the knowledge and wisdom, and in the seasons of doubt, knowing that Christ has a hold of us because of God's Word and its witness today. Amen.